Anybody impatient? Anybody? Okay. I mean, I'm an impatient person. I've been for a long time now. I'm the type of person that I will put a hot pocket in the microwave, put it on for three minutes, and then a minute and a half, I'll pull it out and touch it outside and go, yep, it's good enough. That's how impatient I am. It's fine frozen. It's what we like to refer to as a half-baked idea, Gratz. Um, but no, so but but I'm I'm a very impatient person, and, and I ask that question because we're going to continue our journey through the book of Galatians, and we're going to continue kind of where Paul left off last week when he said that he was perplexed by those people because they keep wanting to go back to the ways of this world over living in the freedom that Christ gives. That, that we talked about last week just as a reminder that sometimes we give way too much power to the things of this world and we don't believe enough in the power of Jesus Christ. And, and today, Paul's going to kind of extend that with an illustration. An illustration where he's going to kind of show that this is not a new thing. He's going to go Old Testament on them, and he's going to say, hey, this law that y'all want to abide by, those first five books of the Scripture, let me tell you a story that came from that. Let me remind you of something that happened there. And let me show you that even then, God was faithful. And this is a friendly reminder that sometimes we can get caught up in everything that's in this scripture. But here's what we need to remember. This entirety, from front to back, from, from, from table of contents to index, is a love story. It's a love story of God for God's people. That over and over in Scripture what we see is that, is that God created for a purpose and we find a way to pursue our own purpose and our own wants and God goes, oh, but I love you, come home. And we say, okay. And then yet again, we go, oh, but the... God says, come home. And over and over again, we lose sight of God's will and God's way and God's timing. And like I said, Paul in Galatians 4, beginning in the 21st verse, is going to point out that this is not a new thing. This has been happening since Abraham. You know, Father Abraham. The one that, the one that they celebrate, that they put on the pedestal as a pillar of their faith that say, I want to be like him. Guess what? Even Abraham struggled. And if Abraham struggled, then so are we. So it's time that we kind of dig in and understand what is going on is what Paul is saying. And he says in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in the 21st verse, Tell me. You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? He's literally calling into question like, y'all think that you have to abide by X, Y, and Z, but here's the thing, some of y'all that are saying we have to abide by X, Y, and Z, you're abiding by X and Z, but you've forgotten that Y was there. 
You're, you're saying, oh, but that person's missing out on X. They're not, they're not fulfilling everything that God calls us to do. And he's saying, but neither are we. He says, have you forgotten all that is in the scriptures? He says, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. And so what he's pointing at is he's drawing them back to the story of Abraham. We know the story of Abraham. We grew up singing, Father Abraham had many sons, right? We know this song. I hear some of y'all kind of going along with it. And what he's reminding them of is this. So if you don't know the background of that story, God appears to Abraham and he says, hey, Look at all the stars in the sky. You will have more offspring than even that. You will father a nation. And this happens when Abraham and Sarah are in Canaan. And they are roughly 75 and 65 years old, respectively. And so there's a 75-year-old man, a 65-year-old woman, and God shows up and goes, Hey, you're going to have a baby. I don't think that we understand that how ludicrous that is. Like, if that doesn't hit you and go, wait a minute, what? Because we just kind of chalk it up as, oh, it's in the scripture, so it's not a crazy thought. No, it's still a crazy thought. I'm not, I am not a doctor, but that just doesn't seem biologically able to happen. But God says to the 75-year-old and 65-year-old couple that he says, you will father a child. A nation. And, and Abraham's response is, is probably much like ours would be. And he's like, how is this even possible? We don't, we, my wife is not expecting. We're, we're barren. We, there's no way, God. Because even at that moment, they were not expecting a child. And so 10 years goes by, and so now they're 85 and 75, and they're still wrestling with, wait a minute, God promised us that this would happen. What now? And then they start to grow a little impatient with God. God, I know that you said you would never leave nor forsake us. God, I know that you made a promise to your people. God, I know that you're guiding and directing us. But you know what, God? I'm tired of waiting, and I think I know better. And so they concoct a plan, if you will. A plan that says, you know what, God? I know your will better than you do. You know what, God? I know what your desire is, so let me just go ahead and carry it out for you. God, I know what you want. And it kind of reminds me, and I've probably shared this story before, but when me and Anna first got married, and we were moving into the house together, and for about two weeks, there were some boxes that just sat around in the living room. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm a little impatient. And my wife kept talking about that she was frustrated about the boxes. So I was going to be a good husband. Or so I thought. And I unpacked the boxes, and I put things away, and I, and I put the boxes out by the street. And, I, and, I, and when she came home, I said, look at what I did. I was so proud of myself. Because I knew what Anna wanted. 
I knew it better than she did, so I just went ahead and did it for her. Until she looked at me and goes, oh. And I said, is everything okay? And anybody in this room will know how this should have hit me in the back of the head when she went, oh, it's fine. I learned real quick that does not mean everything is fine. But what I found out is that what her, but what my wife was doing was a process that she does. It's called nesting, where she wants to be the person that tries different things out and says, I want to put this here. Oh, I don't like that there. I'm going to put this here. But she wanted to unpack the boxes. She had a purpose. She knew what she wanted and how she wanted it done. I was the one that was impatient. And that's what's happening with Abraham and Sarah, is they know, okay, eventually what God wants is this. So let's just hurry up the process and not trust God's timing and God's way of doing it, but do it in our own will and our own way. And so they, they, they hatch this half-baked plan. Because they can't wait for the hot pocket to cook. They, they pull it out a little too early, and they say, what we're going to do... Abraham, is, is you are going to have a child with our slave girl, Hagar. You are, are going to, to help God along because, because you know better, and maybe God just forgot, or maybe God's too busy. And so they say, she's fruitful. Where I'm barren. And so what we'll do is we'll handle it for God. And then 14 years later, so now, now they're 99 and 89 years old, and, and still no child for Sarah. If you read in Romans and Hebrews, the scripture proclaims that Abraham is as good as dead. That's what it says. He's probably looking and going, I've done my time. God, God ain't got a purpose for me anymore. I'm too old for that, God. I know what you're, what you're proclaiming, but I'm, it's already passed me by. Give that to somebody younger to handle. And when all hope seems lost, they're reminded, God is faithful. And God provides a way. Why? Because God promised it. And so we hear about these two sons. And continuing in verse 24, he says, These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. Well, what does the scripture say? 
Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Y'all got that, right? Y'all understood it? We can just go on and go home, right? What Paul is doing is he is literally using the story of Abraham as an analogy. And what he, what he is, is pointing to is that the way of slavery is that way that says, I've got to do more, I've, I've got to help God out, I, I've got to be God, which if you haven't noticed, we make really bad gods when we try to do it on our own. And so that's the way of slavery in the way of the world. But he says, but we, under the promise of God, are called to be children of God, set free. And, and he's using this as kind of the illustration of how so often we can look around at the world and go, I know what's fruitful. I know how to, to get more folks into the church so that we can get more money, so that we can have bigger buildings and more programs. And don't mishear me, all those are great things. However, what happens so frequently in the church is that we look to the ways of the world for our fruitfulness so that we can shine a light. And then the only light that we shine is the light of worldliness into a world that already has it. Whereas if we remain faithful and cling to God's promise and God's will, that God will provide a way through us. And sometimes, just sometimes, what God is telling us is sit down and be quiet and listen. Because you have gotten so caught up in your own wants and your own desires and your own thoughts of this is what it's supposed to be like and this is what the church is supposed to do and this is how it acts. And when it's not your way, you throw a hissy fit and you go, fine, God, I'll make it in my own image. And then all of a sudden you find yourself back in slavery. And you wonder, how did I get here? And it's because we are impatient. It's because we don't trust and God, when God says, I will provide, it's because we find ourselves listening to those voices of the world that say, oh, you got to act now. Oh, you better move. Oh, God left y'all. But the scripture reminds us over and over, God has not left nor forsaken us. Because he proclaims it to be true. Here's the thing. If you flip to the back of the scriptures, here's the good news. In the end, God wins. Period. There's no arguing that fact. And so what we find ourselves doing is living in a world where we go, I know better. Yeah, but... Mm. And so we find ourselves pursuing things that we think that will be fruitful, but it's fruitful by the ways of the world. And that's because we live in a very self-reliant society. We were brought up that way. It's not our fault, really. But it's, we were brought up in the way that says, watch out for number one. Get yours or somebody else will. Take care of yourself. Watch out for you. 
And as we do this, what happens is our own power and our own ego and our own works and our own wants is what prevails, and it becomes all about me. And even when we gather and worship, it's still all about me. We say, preach, make me feel good. And then if, I, if something said that steps on toes, sometimes what we say is, oh, that wasn't addressed at me, that was addressed at them, they need to hear that. And it's, and it's all about us. But here's the thing that, that the scripture proclaims to us and we need to know today. It is not by our works, but by his wounds that we are healed. Period. End of statement. Full stop. It is not by our works, but by the wounds of Jesus Christ that we are made whole. Self Effort is not the gospel, although it is the gospel that many of us want to believe that I can be good enough, I can do good enough, I can work my way into heaven. And we, all, we lose sight of the idea that the gospel is actually God gives grace to the barren. God helps those who cannot help themselves. To those that are all but dead, God brings about life. This is the good news. That when all hope seems lost, God provides a way. So we have to be honest. Because there's only two ways you can fall on this one. Either the work of Christ is sufficient to make us redeemed, or it isn't. Either the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is sufficient, or it's not. Because here's the thing, Scripture never says, yes, it's Jesus and. Oh, yeah, you, salvation is through Jesus and baptism. Salvation is through Jesus and, as they're talking about in this letter, circumcision. Salvation is achievable through Jesus and offering. Salvation is achievable through Jesus and, and, and. And oh, what, G, what Paul is pointing them back to is salvation is achievable through Jesus Christ, period. End of statement. So let's stop adding on all this extra criteria and saying that it's God's will because what he's pointing to is this, is that sometimes we take over God's will and say, I'm going to handle it, and then we proclaim it to be God's will, and God goes, nope, my will was not for you to have a child with that woman. My will was for you to have a child with your wife if you would have just waited and trusted me. But you thought you knew better. And so you took my will and made it your own and then proclaimed it as mine. And we live in a world that does this over and over and over again. That's how we have so many people proclaiming different things and all of them saying, it's God's will, it's God's will. But what we hear in the scriptures is that God's will is for all of us to be children of God. That, that, that through Jesus Christ, we are saved. That through our faith in Christ Jesus, we are made whole. You see, the analogy that Paul's trying to point them to is this. We are a spiritually barren people. We are convinced that there is no way unless we do it. 
We are convinced that we already know what will happen and that God cannot change our future or our path. We are convinced that God will not intervene, so we go, let's just go ahead and make our own moves because God has left us. Now, we may not say that out loud, but our actions sure reflect it, don't they? And we're unable to conceive that here's the thing. God is still at work and doing a mighty and good thing in this church and in your life. Even when you may not perceive it, God is at work. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. What this story is pointing us to is that God promises that if we trust in Christ alone, we will become children of God. That that, that the ways of this world do not prevail, but that love, grace, and mercy win. Because here's the thing, is we're reminded over and over again that we can try to keep all these laws in the front of the Scripture, but Jesus Christ came and said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And then later... When he's asked, well, what is the law? What is the greatest? And then what does he respond? Love God and love neighbor on everything else, these rest. And he's saying that here's the thing. If you love God and love neighbor, the rest of this stuff falls in place. Because what he is proclaiming is this. Love wins. Period. Full stop. Love prevails. Grace is sufficient because it is not by our works, but by God's wounds we are healed. And all are healed. Because I don't have to remind you the story of Jesus hanging on the cross, but I will. You remember there was that guy hanging next to him? There was the one mocking him, but there was also the one that was like, hey, save me, please. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Not because he said, oh, but first you must go be circumcised and you must go be baptized and you must go make sure that you give 10% to the church and you must do X, Y, and Z and you must fulfill all the Levitical law. He says, no, no, because of your faith in me today, you will be with me in paradise. And right after that, we hear these words where Jesus, last words he utters, It is finished. It is done. And now, yes, I do believe that what he is saying is that that is the moment where he gives up his spirit as scripture proclaims. But I also believe that what he is proclaiming is this. I came to set you free and through my death, guess what? It is finished. It has been done. This is sufficient grace for all people at all times, in all places. So here's the thing. You either believe the words of Jesus or you don't. You either find yourself believing that through Jesus Christ salvation is extended to all people in faith or you find yourself leaning on the side that says I have to work my way in. Here's the thing. Salvation through Jesus Christ is not a work release program. It's just not. It's not Jesus Christ plus anything else. But it is Christ alone. and Faith 
and Jesus Christ. And what Paul is pointing us to in this text is this. Stop leaning on your own understandings and your own wants and desires and start resting on God's. Stop saying, hey God, I know your idea, but let me carry it out a little bit further for you. And stop trying to be God and let God be God. 